Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by David Moore. Hello, David. In a slimmed down version of our podcast today, Kevin. Yeah, and we're throwing everybody out. Uh, you know, listen, <laughs> if you're if you're not pulling your weight, you're out of this podcast. And that's Allie's we- used this excuse of team in the playoffs and travel, you know. Yeah. And 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 Evan, Evan, of course, was like overwhelmed by three off days in New York. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I see I see this uh, uh you know social media uh, photo of him with Nancy and one of Nancy's friends are out in Times Square. It's like he seemed to be having a pretty good time then, and uh, next thing you know, he's he's out. Doesn't have time for us. No, Which, no time. For really, us. I'm not lamenting that much. If <laughs> truth <laughs> That's be known. right. That's right. Maybe we'll get more done here today. <laughs> uh, so there's been a, there's a really a lot going on right now. Uh, just everything happening all at once. We've got the, the 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 Rangers obviously are playing. The Stars are are still in the playoffs. The Mavericks are still in the playoffs. Uh, I don't know that we would have imagined either one of those things at this point. Certainly not going into the playoffs in general. Uh, the the Mavericks really bounced back from an O two hole after coming home from Phoenix and played extremely well. I got to tell you, David, I, I don't know if I saw that coming. After they started out 0-2, I thought, uh, oh, this team is – the Suns are just too good for the Mavericks. They can't stop them, and that's exactly what they did. I didn't either. I thought – I again, for Dallas to make it a series and to make it interesting, they had to dig in and, and win game three. Um, you know, and, and they when they did that, the way they did – it was okay. Well, that you know, that's a pretty nice response. But my belief was how these things have played out in the past. When you have a one and a four seed, you know, Phoenix was going to go all in, and if Dallas was going to win Game Four, it was going to have to be a close win where they just you know dug in late and and were able to execute late in the game because uh, Phoenix was really going to come at them. But with with the way Dallas shot the ball. Uh, the way with everyone who wasn't Luca shot the ball on the perimeter in that game, uh, the way they dug in defensively again, and um, you know the the foul trouble that Chris Paul got into and Bridges too uh, early in the game, it, it just really changed the dynamic of the game. And and uh, I, I did not really envision a scenario where Dallas was going to go back with this series side series tied two two. I, I thought three one Phoenix was the most likely. Uh, but I certainly did not envision a scenario where Dallas would beat Phoenix as thoroughly in the two games uh, at the AAC as they did. Yeah, you know, the, the thing that's really been remarkable is that Mikhail Bridges was playing great in the playoffs yeah. uh, up to this point, and he's kind of almost been a non-factor uh, in this series, um, and uh, and that's been pretty remarkable. Devin Booker's still getting his points. Um, he is a remarkable offensive player, um, and, but you know, Chris Paul has, has been zeroed out, uh, pretty much in the last two games. I would expect that he will do better, uh, you know, in game five, but the, the thing that's really striking is that Reggie Bullock has played him so well and, and hounded him so much. That, I mean, Paul the other night had six assists in the first half and that was great, but he got off four shots the entire game, four shots. You know, for yeah. five points, uh, he he just simply can't get his shot off. Uh, and if he's not able to do that, that <laughs> doesn't matter really how many assists he gets. He's he's supposed to be one of their primary scorers. 
So that's been a, a big issue for the for the Suns. Yeah, Bullock's really been outstanding uh, in this series. And again, Dorian Finney-Smith, those two guys, defensively what they do for this team and, and their ability to switch and play different guys and, and go down on uh, Chris Paul and make it a little, put a bigger body on him and still stay up with him uh, makes that difficult. Um, you know, we've touched on this this year, but but the defensive transformation of this team has really been impressive this year. Um, and we talked about how difficult it is to to institute that much of a of an identity change on, on who you are and for it to take hold to the extent it has. Um, they did not look good early in the season. They also had COVID uh, issues as far as bringing all this together. Um, but they really have bought in. And as we've talked about before, you know, your your best player, even though he's not even close to being your des- best defender, has to buy in and has to show everyone else that at least he's going to have skin in the game on the defensive side of the ball. And, and I think, you know, I, I think that uh, Luca has done that. Uh, he's done it enough to where um, it, it there, he gives enough energy on the defensive side of the ball where other guys are, are, are you know, playing off of that. And, and to me, what's interesting is in playing this defense, your auxiliary players have become bigger offensive components than you envisioned. Um, you know, so often and, and before, and, and to me, that's where the identity shifted a little bit. You know, before Dallas could play good defense at times, but if they weren't firing on all offensive cylinders, their defense didn't seem to be there or it lagged, the energy wasn't there. Now they're putting in energy on the defensive side of the ball. And over the course of the game, they're able, able to pick up in spots offensively uh, because of the energy they're expending on the defensive side of the ball. So I think they've really done a good good job and, and uh, uh, a really admirable job in one season to flip the switch that way. Yeah, there's no question about it. You know, that's interesting when, when we talk about that. It just occurred to me, you know, when you are a three-point shooting team, uh, essentially, obviously, you're putting the whole load on the guards to, to get in, to penetrate, get into the lane, and then to be able to kick out. I, it, you know, it kind of makes you believe then that you're expending so much energy on defense. Can you really be a guy that's having to work really hard and uh, uh, on offense as well to get your points? And when you're a three-point shooting team, the guys just go down, they set up in a spot. Luca knows where they are. Uh, they're there. He, go, he he penetrates. He kicks it back out. They shoot the three. They're not they're not having to you know to to drive and 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 uh, penetrate and take the beating that you get from that as much as at least at least the bigs aren't having to do that. So that leaves that to Spencer Dinwiddie, you know, Jalen Brunson. And, Brunson Dodge. and they're both doing an outstanding job on that. They're continuing to attack the basket. Now, now Dinwiddie's numbers haven't been good in this series. Uh, but they were good in the last series either. Uh, no, no. And in fact, uh, you can argue Bertans has had a bigger impact in some ways in this series, uh, especially the way he came out shooting in game four. But Dinwiddie, it's still – you're breaking down the defense and attacking the rim. You're not just standing around the perimeter. And, you know, it's interesting. You're talking about energy expended, and and that's where everyone has to to pick and choose their spots, right? Um, I mean, this game is just too intense for them to go full out every single, you know, second of every single possession on both sides of the ball. Uh, if you're away from the ball defensively, you can catch a little breather. If you're away from the ball offense, you know, you have to pick your spots. Actually, I would argue you saw Luca was picking his spots more on the offensive side of the ball as far as catching his breath in game four. 
uh, than on the defensive side of the ball. Now, one reason for that was his teammates were hitting, uh, and, and so he didn't have to. But how often in that game did you see him just stand out on the perimeter and launch a three-pointer with one to two seconds left on the shot clock where there really wasn't another play to be made. That's an example of, okay, I need to catch my breath a little bit here. But he was able to do that, and it made sense because so often they had a 12-14 point lead um, and, you know, milk the clock, move it around, catch your breath there, and still expand on the defensive side of the ball. And uh, it's small things like that that really make a difference. And I I think you see Luca in this series – uh, you know, before, if you said he was catching his breath on offense, you were going, well, there's no way this team is, is keeping up. Uh, but there are times I think you saw him in game four do that. Now, having said all of this, to me, game five is going to be completely different. And, and what you see is, especially in a playoff series, the supporting cast who often has such big games at home don't do that collectively on the road. Um, and so how many of the supporting cast are going to have this sort of game in game five that they had in game four? And I, yeah, I think you're going to see the pendulum swing a little bit. I, I think, you know, everyone's going, oh, well, these last two games, these were Luke, you know, these were Lucas, Lucas, uh, least impactful offensive games from a point standpoint, and they played their best ball. Well, I would argue you're going to need to see the 30 to 35 point Luca. Uh, to have a chance to win game five just because of the nature of the playoffs and going on the road. Yeah, the the one issue for me with Luka on offense is that uh, you saw that in, in the first two games when they were just terrible starts to the game. And Luka would have two or three terrible turnovers going down the floor. And, and essentially what was happening on both of those uh, – in both the starts of both of those games in Phoenix was that Luka's going down, he's grinding, grinding, grinding uh, uh, to start a possession – and and then he goes into the lane and then he turns around because he's got no place to go and just whips out a pass out to somewhere where clearly that that person was not ready for that pass or was out of position for where he thought he was to begin with. I think what happened when they came back here to Dallas was that Luca comes down, he's in the lane, he looks over and quickly to Reggie Bullock gives him a nice three. You know, it, and these are quicker possessions. And I think that the the Mavericks are better when they're not grinding so much. I think that there are times when, the, and obviously, Luca needs to do that, and that's a, it's a very good thing. I think, though, for the kind of the the rhythm of their offense, if they can come down and get a quicker shot, uh, and it certainly is better for for Jalen Brunson. You know, he he is he's not he can't against this team. He could do it against uh, the Jazz. Against this team, it's a little harder to get into the lane, and uh, these are bigger guards, bigger players guarding him, uh, and he, he, he was embarrassed, frankly, in the first two games uh, by Devin Booker, mostly. And in the last two games, because I think they're setting up a little bit quicker and because when he's got the ball, they are even sometimes on a break, It's the offenses look much better. So, <clears throat> you're, But you're exactly right when you bring up the point about what the uh, ancillary players do on the road. That That's what always happens. They're going to have to get – they're still going to have to get some help from somebody making threes. There's no question about that. The the, the Mavs' entire offense is predicated on making threes. Yeah. They're still going to have to get those. And again, it worked at home because Reggie Bullock hit that shot when you're talking about the motion and everything. It's because those guys hit the threes early. If Luka's making those plays and the people around him aren't making those shots early, what happens? He has to take it on himself to get the offense going. And so, yes. so that was the difference at home. But, but I tell you what, uh, that Dallas – 
Dallas has gotten the attention of the Suns now. And, uh, I, I, you know, and, and the fans remember the last time they played in Phoenix, the fans were chanting for a sweep. So they got the attention of the fans as well. So it's going to be it's going to be the most hostile environment this Mavericks team has been in. Uh, this nucleus has ever been in in game five. And it'll be interesting to see how they respond. Hey, I got a question for you. And then this is really not even about the, the games as much as the uh, the setup of these games uh, televising them. Every one of the Mavericks games, except for the afternoon games, have been the late games. I mean, what is up with that, David? Uh, you know, I I am not really cut out to be riding on a nine o'clock start. <laughs> You know, these, these things aren't good for me. As a matter of fact, I am, I did not go to Phoenix and that wasn't my idea, but uh, I did not go to Phoenix for this game. I'm going to have to write this game from home and I'm writing it for digital on, you know, this is all a lot of too much, you know, work related. I have a studio set up in your house, just like the TNT (laughs) crew. Only it'll just be you. Yeah. And so that, and that's essentially what happened last Friday when they played and I, I would, they told me to write for digital on Saturday because it was such a late start. And, uh, and so, you know, given the extra time, of course I took it and I filed that story at four 30. Yeah. That's, 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 that's not yeah. good for me, David, to be doing that kind of thing. <laughs> it's not good for my health to be staying up till four 30 in the morning. Right? That's exactly. why you went to the Y the other day for the first time in five <laughs> years. You had to- exactly right. Well, two years, but anyway, close enough. So, uh, so David, so let's, let's make a prediction here because this will be over by the time we, uh, um, come back next week. Uh, do you think the Mavs can actually pull this off or do you think the Suns still win? I, I still think the Suns win. I, I think that you saw two games as bad as you'll see Chris Paul play back to back. Now, I also recognize at his age, Chris Paul is going to have these sort of games and you can wear him down. Um, but but I, I still think go, to, to win this series, Dallas is still going to have to win a game in Phoenix. And if they don't win game five, I don't see Dallas winning this series. So I'm still going to say I'm actually going to go Suns in six. I think because, again, I don't think Phoenix wants to let it get back to, uh, uh, you know, the the Valley for a seventh game. But uh, I I still see Phoenix winning the series. I mean, they they won so many more games during the regular season. And as we've talked about before, as, as well as the Dallas supporting cast has played, I would still argue after Luca, the second, third, and fourth best players in this series all play for the Suns. Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. That's you, you watch these games and, and you say uh, it's really remarkable the, the way the Mavericks are winning these games. I, I will say I think they've exposed the flaw in in the Suns' approach, which is we're a mid-range shooting team. We don't shoot threes. They've they've actually forced the Suns to shoot more threes, and they're getting them from all people. Jay Crowder. You know, uh, if it weren't for him in, in some of the offense, uh, in some yeah. of the games they play, they wouldn't have much of an offense at all. Uh, yeah, I, I do think the Mavericks are still a player away. And, and, and at this point, I don't think that they necessarily need the superstar that we've always thought that they needed. I don't, you know, uh, I think that, that Brunson has, has elevated his game to the point where he's, he's really making a difference. They, what they need is a, is a big. And and I think we've seen in this series rebounding help. Yeah, that's what this yes. series is exposed. Absolutely. I mean, we knew everybody knew that, but yeah. Well, Dwight Powell has been almost a cipher in this series. You know, he, he goes out. His his line in the game uh, the other night. He played ten minutes. He had one rebound. That was it. That was his line. Uh, you, you can't get that out of your starting center. You know, that's just that's just terrible. Uh, and and of course. He doesn't bring you what Maxi Kleber does uh, when he plays in the games uh, as he stretches the floor, and Dwight can't do that. Uh, so 
that that is still an issue for them. And I and I do think I said before the series I thought the the uh, Suns would win in seven. I still think I'm still going to stick with that Suns in seven. I do think it's going to be really hard for the Mavericks. They they played so hard to get these two wins. Uh, it'd be really a lot to ask for them to win three in a row. That's just phenomenal to think that they would get that many in a row. I, I think they they could win. When they come back home, and then when they go back out to Phoenix again, that'll be yeah. it. Again, I think the Suns win, but you know when sometimes when a team cracks, uh, they crack, and and Phoenix is right there. I think Phoenix has to respond in this game uh, to reinforce that. And if they don't, I can see Dallas winning this series. But I, I just think the Suns, with where they've been for the last year and a half, are, are going to win this series. Yeah, I do too. All right, that's going to do it for our uh, MAV segment of this podcast uh, today. And uh, we're going to move on now to the Cowboys and the Rangers. We're going to consolidate those into two, uh, into one podcast. And then we're going to have a little potpourri again. We know how much you people love oh, potpourri. Oh, people clamor for it. Oh, my God. I mean, God. I, I can't s- tell you how much I'm out in, in public. And people just go, <laughs> why don't you do the potpourri segment more? Oh, I, I, get, I get a chance. Why? Potpourri. Why? Potpourri. People are chanting. It's unbelievable. I just have to, you know, it's, and that's, and that's in church. It's just embarrassing, you know, right in the middle of the sermon, all of a sudden potpourri chant goes up. Just unbelievable. Anyway. So, so David, let's talk a little bit about the Cowboys. You know, there's always something wacky going on with the Cowboys. Uh, it, it is unbelievable in this market. I remember talking to our, our old pal, Buck Harvey one time and from San Antonio. And he said, you, you know, it must be great being in Dallas because you get to write about Cuban all the time because he's always doing stuff. And it's like, it's like, that's not even, that's a Cuban and the Mavs are a poor second compared <laughs> to the Cowboys. It's just theater. There's always something going on. You know, we had, we had Jerry's uh, car crash the other day. Like, you know, I, I don't want to say anything, but you know, I thought Jerry had a driver. I thought he had somebody taking care of him and apparently not. Well, J- Jerry does have a driver. Uh, that doesn't mean Jerry always utilizes his driver. You know, sometimes sometimes a billionaire owner just has to go out to, to grab some milk for, uh, you yeah. know. <laughs> Gene, Gene said, hey, Jerry, go to the 7-Eleven and get me some milk. Jerry, did you pick up that milk I asked you to bring home? No? Yeah. Okay, well, oh, I'll, I'll get it. I'll get it. Yeah, I think it's with the owner catting around, if you ask me. That's what. Uh, no, not, not uh, why would you say something like that? <laughs> why would I say that? It was, oh, it was I don't eight know. at night, uh, <laughs> uptown. That's a very respectable hour. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm when you're 78. here, sir. When you're 78 years old, that's catting around if you're out at eight <laughs> or nine o'clock. Just walking around. Is- yeah. Well, it would be for me. I, first <laughs> of all, I'm not even going to live to be 78 years old. So I, I admire Jerry for that, for that potential to do that. I was glad that Jerry was okay. I was glad that it wasn't Jerry's fault. He did everything he did to get out of the way of that. Apparently, the person. Somebody made a crazy left turn, like from four lanes over or something, and Jerry. Yeah, left turn into yeah oncoming traffic from a middle lane. So yeah. that was what the police report said that uh, exactly. that reviewed. So of course it could have been that Jerry paid off the police and uh, and got that whole <laughs> uh, again, thing again, sir, sir. These are such unfounded <laughs> accusations. <laughs> I please I, let everyone know I had nothing to do with this conversation other than being here. Oh, okay. All right. All right. So, uh, so anyway, I'm like Kelvin Joseph, I'll distance myself from the situation. Yeah. How, yeah, how you, bad is that? Was that a bad segue from, boy, from Jerry no into kidding. that? Yeah, into Kelvin Joseph. Yeah. Jerry, you, uh, David, you took your, uh, took your shots there with the Kelvin Joseph thing. And I got to say, I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly on all of that. Uh, that was a, a, a draft pick that, 
once again, a second round draft pick that blew up in their faces. Uh, they took that chance on him. He was involved in a shooting that resulted in the death of someone. Uh, and he was at least in the car from which the shots were fired. Um, so it is remarkable to me. Uh, and I was so disappointed. I have to say this, uh, uh, the other day, um, you know, our old pal Calvin Watkins wrote a story with Will McClay and I, I admire so much the job that Will McClay has done with mm-hmm. these Cowboys in the draft. He has turned around this franchise almost single-handedly in my estimation by putting together it. The, these days, it, uh, a good draft is just kind of like the, the bottom line with them. You know, that's the floor. And they, it should they might be expected. Have, now, it yes. should be expected, right? But, uh, but, but really, wherever they draft from, and we talked about it, there were that doesn't mean you rubber stamp every class and that doesn't mean you question some of the players they selected, um, you know, in this year's draft because they went away from the template that they've used in, in, in recent years, as far as with the power five players and all of that. But, uh, they deserve the benefit of the doubt and, and, and there's still a rationale and you can understand what they're doing and why they went about it in these drafts versus so often in the past before Will McClay was in place, you would just leave a draft going, what what were they trying to accomplish? And and I, I you know they say they were trying to do this, but they didn't do it in rounds one, three, and four. You know, so, right? But but now that there's at least a coherent thread, I think, through every draft. Yeah. But having said all that good about Will McClay, I was disappointed to see what he said in response to Calvin's questions about Sam Williams, the second round pick, and and in which Will said, "Oh, you know, you guys are always looking for the bad in people, and yeah. uh, it's like you know." Let's be adults here, okay, Will? There's been some things that have happened in this market that were terrible. We've had people, we've had people killed by draft choices here, you know. And uh, when you're introducing somebody to a market, and this is what I've always said about college coaches when they're recruiting players, you're responsible for that person. You brought them here, and I and I'm not saying that you're legally responsible for that, but you're morally responsible for that person being in this market. And if this person, uh, continues to do things that they've been charged with before, no matter if the charges are dropped or not, then you bear some responsibility for that, at least morally. And uh, and I think you have to take that seriously. I, I just don't want to hear people say, well, we did our due diligence on this. And we find out what it was is that, you know, somebody talked to an assistant coach and somebody talked to, uh, you know, the player himself. And then they just decided, oh, yeah, there was nothing to this. It's like, oh, yeah, that, that's real detective work. You know, you, you you haven't really done much work on that at all. Yeah, I would argue if if your due diligence is primarily talking to his high school and college uh, position coaches, uh, you're not really getting a full picture of, of what the, uh, the the player or the athlete is about. And and I will say I, I do know that the Cowboys go deeper uh, than that in when they evaluate the character of guys and whether there are red flags. But uh, you're always making an estimation of um, the player's talent, obviously, which yeah. which tips the scales o- o- on one end, uh, especially in the draft, and and then two about an appreciation of what your culture is and how you can absorb players who have issues, but you have an infrastructure in place to handle it, and the locker room to handle it. So. Uh, then you determine, make a value determination on whether a player there's a there's a fatal character flaw, or uh, he just hasn't been in enough structure and had enough 
a strong positive reinforcement around him to make it work. Uh, so the the appreciation or I would argue in some cases over appreciation of that culture that the Cowboys have here in the infrastructure with the talent, weighing it against the talent, uh, Dallas usually determines that, well, we can we can make this work. It's at least we at least owe it to ourselves and the player to give it a shot and see if we can make it work. Uh, very quickly on Kelvin Joseph, I know a lot of people. Um, and, you know, th- my problem with how the Cowboys have handled this is basically they're just going, oh, well, you know, uh, let's just see how it plays out in the legal system. Let's just see what the NFL does. We're just, you know, we're just bystanders here. We can't really do anything. And to me, that's not true. Now, I'm not, I- I'm not saying you just cut the guy right now, which is what some people who, you know, semi read what I wrote the other day seemed to, to, you know, think I was saying, but, but this is why, why don't you say, look, work out on your own until this is resolved through the legal system. You know, uh, we just don't want you around the team right now. You're not off the team, but these are voluntary. Uh, we don't think it's, I mean, look, you know, you have to you have to show us you're serious about this job, too. And we want to see how you respond here. So keep working out. We'll get you the information, but just do it on your own. Let's let's see how this plays out a little bit more before uh, you're back out here around the team. To me, that is a, a reasonable, rational response to the severity of this action where a life was lost. And and your own lawyer places you in the car where the fatal shots shots were fired. Yeah, no question about that. <clears throat> All right. Well, I want to talk about a minute for what the our Dallas Mayor Eric Johnson came up with the, the other day, proposing that uh, the city of Dallas get another NFL team, which the, the best response by anybody in any of this was from the Fort Worth mayor, uh, Matty Roberts, who said, Dallas has a football team? <laughs> I love that response. That was great. That was great. That's a real shot across the bow there for the Cowboys. Uh uh, let's just first of all say that uh, Dallas ain't getting another football team. Texas ain't getting another football team. Jerry Jones is not going to allow another team to come to even to Texas, much less come to Dallas. Well, if you did, it would be in a population area. It would be around Austin, right, or San Antonio. It mm-hmm. would be in that corridor. And then it's not just mm-hmm. Dallas questioning the the viability of that. It's the Houston Texans as well. Um, and – I'm I'm just still interested. I find it interesting that that let's bring in another pro team is still the default mode for showing that we're a we're a vibrant metropolitan, you know, prosperous area. Um, I would argue if you if you put together a list of 200 things that the voters in Dallas and Dallas County really wanted, I'm not sure a second NFL team would even make the top 200 list on uh, issues that, right. that should be addressed. Now, I, I understand like the aspirational, you know, a, a mayor is not just the the nuts and bolts. There's also an aspirational element to it. And, and, and I understand the, you know, framing the context of, well, look, you know, this area is about to go past Chicago to be the third largest metro area in the United States. We should start thinking of ourselves that way. To me, that's a valid way to bring this up and use it. But to think that anything's going to come of this or anything should come of this or that this is like, so what this is, you bring a second team in, you put it in South Dallas and now address all of the infrastructure issues you have not addressed 
through time, and this is going to, to help bring it along. I, I just think it's uh, um, this is something you you know you throw out on talk radio as a segment, but I don't see it's a it's a serious viable uh, avenue to pursue at this time. No, uh, David, you bring up things that we could be doing. You know, I like them to fix my alley, which you know you could lose a Volkswagen <laughs> back there and a few of the holes. Uh, and, and then look, here's the other thing. You know, you can talk about the major metropolitan areas and what they have. Okay, New York has two teams, but really New Jersey has one of them. You know, it's not, you know, the Giants are in New Jersey. They're not even in New York. Uh, in, in L.A., uh, ask the, the, the Chargers how they feel about, you know, their place there after in second place to the Rams. You, usually in these markets, when you have a second team, in baseball it's worked out a little bit better, but those go back a hundred years, you know, um, and, and, and there's plenty of time for those loyalties to develop and to prosper. Uh, that's not going to happen in this case. You know, you got to, as you said, there are things that you have to do if you're going to be a major metropolitan market. One of them for Dallas and Fort Worth is to have a decent uh, light rail system uh, and, and and ways for people for, for mass transit to get around. That's That still hasn't been completed here. You know, you can't go to a, as it is, you should be able to get on a train and go to the game out in Arlington. You can't even do that because Arlington has resisted that because they don't want people just coming to a game and going back home again. They want people to come out there, go to a game, eat dinner, hang around for a little while at the bars, and then go home. So so there, there are all kinds of issues that this area needs to work out before they get another professional sports team. Uh, I think we're, we're up to our eyeballs in pro teams now, and, uh, and I'm not sure what, we're always getting the support that we need for those without thinking about bringing another NFL team. Although I'm not even really sure Eric Johnson was serious about this. I think maybe he just threw it out there and wanted to see what was going to happen. But I would also say well, he's doubled and tripled down quite a bit though. Well, <laughs> I guess he has, there, so. but, but when you talk about a team for South Dallas, the team for South Dallas is the Dallas Cowboys. I would say that they get better support in South Dallas than they get in any other area of town. You, you, you want to say to the, to the people of South Dallas, we're bringing you a new team. It's going to be no good. And it's going to be any good for five years, but we want you to support this team. And then Dallas will be North Dallas. And the Cowboys will be North Dallas's team. Nobody's going for that. Uh, I like, like we, we need to canvas the neighborhoods down there to find out, do you really want another team down here? Or are you still happy with the Cowboys? And that's been part of the argument through the years, which is where, where the Cowboys have been criticized on some extent. It's like, well, the, the support of this team in South Dallas is greater than any other sector of the no Dallas question. area. So why aren't you investing more time and visibility in South Dallas than what you are? And I think you've seen the Cowboys uh, respond to that and recognize that in recent years. And you do see them have a greater presence in South Dallas than they did before. But uh, yeah, again, I, I mean, to me, I, I guess it's interesting to talk about in some, in some fashion, but if it's not going to happen, how much time do you really want to invest in talking about it? And it's certainly not going to happen short term or intermediate. And and uh, and and why should it? Yeah. So let's not talk about it anymore, David. <laughs> uh, on that point, let's let's talk about the Rangers now. Uh, there, even though Evan's not here, and this this means that we're going to get some cogent uh, uh, commentary on the Rangers without Evan. Uh, so they <laughs> they come back from New York. Uh, they they lost two or three. That was kind of. Apparently the weather played havoc with Evan and not just the, the Rangers. Uh, so he's been out under the weather. We're sorry about that. Um, but the Rangers, the, the takeaway from that series was that, my gosh, Rangers starters have all of a sudden, after starting out the season terribly, and they've been working towards this, have been pitching great. Uh, it's been really remarkable to watch the transformation of, of this rotation. Uh, 
Dane Dunning has been pitching very well. Martin Perez is pitching very well. Martin's pitching at a Cy Young level, frankly, at this point. And Dane Dunning has uh, threw 100 uh, pitches the other day. That's his that's his best mark with the Rangers. He's been set loose after they had him on a pitch limit last year and probably for, in his best interest uh, to do that. But they are uh, have been remarkable been pitching remarkably well, and then the bullpen has even settled down a little bit as well. I don't know how much of this is, just the fact that, well, now, uh, because of the short spring training, this was to be expected, that they would struggle a little bit at the first of the season, and then they would start to put things together. Um, some of this might be the fact that, uh, well, if you look over the last couple of years, offensive, offenses have been struggling now for mm -hmm. years. They get worse and worse. We get the three true outcomes, a strikeout, a walk, or a home run. Um, I think that the, those were larger issues in baseball that's still to be resolved. I think, uh, you know, we've talked about that some, if they were to get rid of these extreme shifts we see in baseball, I think that would help. Uh, their baseball is considering other things. I think it's remarkable that the baseball deadened the MLB deadened the baseballs this year. And, and why in the world you would want to do that? I don't know. I'm not saying you want a lively baseball, but I certainly wouldn't be deadening the balls yeah. uh that's not that's not going to be an answer to anything to do that mm -hmm. so uh I, I do think that the rangers are playing better now they've, they've pulled themselves up out of uh, last place in the west uh oakland has been tumbling the mariners have been tumbling and the mavericks and the, excuse me the mavericks the rangers have been playing better uh i don't think they're good enough to challenge the astros or the angels uh at this point but if they could get themselves up into third place in the West uh, this year uh, by continuing to play at this level, I think that would be uh, along the lines of what we were thinking they might be able to do. Uh, I predicted them to win 80 games this year. That would be, a, I guess, about a 20-game improvement over what they were last yeah. year in the win column. So uh, we'll, we'll see if they're able to do that. Well, and this is – yeah, th this stage in their development, you you look at where they are in the standings a little bit differently now. But but I but I will say this: I, I think one thing that's uh, speaking of the the deadened ball, I think one thing that's deadened interest in in the Rangers to some extent is so many of these years they play so poorly early in the season, and then you know starting in you know. Late May, early June, they start to play better, play at a representative level, but they were so far behind with their start that it just doesn't feel that way. And you, you still want to be, you don't want to play yourself out of any relevance and then start to perform at an okay level because then that calls into question, well, are you just doing it because there are no expectations and you're, you know, you, you exist in that environment? I mean, you still want some expectations or relevance early and I still think they need to win a few more games here uh early in the season and and be on the peripheral of of a of a wild card race at least to see how they respond because it's a big difference in playing games that matter and games that don't matter and um and you get a better read on your talent and, and how they respond in those situations so I understand they're at a difficult part of where they are in their development, but you still don't want to play yourself so far out of it early in the season that in my mind, it, it really taints, taints or underscores what 
what level of play you may play later, you know? Well, that's to, to that point. I have a gentleman, an older gentleman who writes me and, and he's usually fairly critical of pretty much everything in Dallas sports, uh, or at least he, he concentrates on those things. And one of them was after their poor start, uh, a terrible start after the first 10 games, he said, when do you run up the white flag? I said, well, <laughs> I said, it, there are 152 games left. So I'm thinking that maybe after 10 games is not the time to run up the white flag. But to your point, it is it is an issue uh, when they t- start out so poorly because there was so much excitement built up about these young players. And when you and when your advertising campaign talks about the 50 year history of the franchise, mm-hmm. and then then they show the World Series teams in that, and now you're making new plans, and you hear Tom Greaves' voice over the top of that saying that okay, they never won before. But it doesn't mean you can't win now. And then they show your your combination at second base there, Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon. Well, you're building up something there to fans. You're telling the fans that, hey, listen, we're ready to go right now. You, you, you shouldn't have, in my mind, you shouldn't have adopted that campaign if you didn't want to say to people, we're ready to go. You know, you can't, you can't say, well, we're kind of on the verge of it. And, and Evan and I have had this conversation back and forth about going into this season when you – when you knew that your your bullpen was going to be taxed because you're going to ha- have every, all your starters on a yeah. on a short leash, why didn't you make sure that you had a really strong bullpen? You know that that's a cheap thing to build. You know you, you don't have to. You can give uh, relievers one year contract. Usually you're, they're full of one year contracts, and and that's what they needed to do at that point was to really stoke up their bullpen. Well, they didn't. It started out terribly. Uh, and that's what put them in a hole early on. And I think that, that that's really what was a problem. And then the second problem was that Seeger and Simeon got off to slow starts. Uh, yeah. Simeon in particular. Now, he started to turn around and it, turn it around a little bit here lately. Uh, but, you know, they've had also defensive issues uh, that they weren't expecting to have. Although, you know, Corey Seeger, if you ask Dodgers fans, uh, he's not a great shortstop. He's just a, a, an average to below average shortstop, uh, in fact. So that's going to be you know an issue going forward for the Rangers. That means that he's going to have to hit. Uh, and he's going to have to hit at the level that he has when he was, you know, not saying he'd have to do what he did when he was a World Series MVP, but he's going to have to hit and deliver. So <clears throat> they, they've shown some things, and there's certainly a lot of promise. Uh, I think they uh, have shown in the minor leagues some of the players – that have been down there. Uh, Leone Tavares is off to a great start. Mm-hmm. Bubba Thompson is off to a great start. Uh, these are really good signs because, frankly, they haven't had any of those. Before, they'd bring up a player like a Leone Tavares who's hitting 240, uh, you know, in, in the minors. What makes you think he's going to do anything when he gets to the big leagues? You know, and so now they're making these guys prove it. They are, they are proving it, and they are developing a track record in the minor leagues, both on the pitching side – and in the on the uh, position player side, so I do think that things are are starting to work up, but they certainly started from a hole this season. There's no question about that. Yeah, and and if you're a a, a good, you know, if you've had success or you're a good franchise, you can weather a bad start, and fans will stay with you and go well. But we've seen over the last three, four, five years, this team is you know it, it will readapt, but. What does a franchise have to sell when it hasn't played well? It's hope, and now, and now when you're and, and what they were doing was, and and they had to sell hope to start the season with with the moves they made. But but you're exactly right; they were selling hope. But the strength of their team and why there was hope 
they undercut it by not having a better bullpen in place early to play to that strength. And, and so what you're selling is totally ripped off the table now, and fans are just going, oh, okay, same old thing again. And, and, and so now you get into, like you say, there are actually some players on the lower levels that are developing and performing now, but if they don't continue to play better like they are now, there's still going to be a pressure to bring those guys up earlier rather than later because fans are going to check out and the record isn't what it is. And you can justify it by, oh, well, let's, you know, we weren't going to bring them up till next year, but let's go ahead and bring them up here and, and look at them for a couple of weeks here and see what happens. So uh, you, you don't want that to impact your decision making. And you can say it won't. But it does. When you're in a dysfunctional or, or bad cycle, you continue to make bad decisions because um, you haven't elevated yourself strategically to a place where you can make different decisions. And that's where I, I do think it's still important for them to, to play pretty well here so they don't sink back into uh, some of the, the decision making that they have in the past. It kind of forces their hand. All right. Speaking of bad decisions, we're in our potpourri segment now. Uh, we have uh, uh, several topics I'd like to cover, and we're going to go over them very quickly. Uh, but one of them is that the NCAA has announced that it uh, has is in, in effect going to actually uh, enforce walls that are already on the books about uh, what you can do uh, and what what a player can receive. And obviously, this is related to NIL and and what it seems like. Uh, things are just running amok here. You know, we, we've got uh, athletes making over millions, millions of dollars in some cases, uh, but you've also got things like where, we're, where uh, programs are saying we're going to give each one of our offensive linemen fifty thousand dollars. They're they're not giving that. You know, the school is not giving this money to them. I want to make that clear. But booster organizations are, and that's what apparently the uh, NCAA is going to target. These booster organizations are now known as collectives in which they are, uh, in, in a lot of cases, saying that this is how much money uh, that uh, we're going to raise for this position. Um, we've had, you know, the Texas A&M had the, what was ranked pretty much across the board, the number one recruiting class in the nation last year. I can't remember the last time the, the yeah. Aggies came close to that level. And you had a lot of people, certainly from the SEC, uh, accusing the Aggies of, of buying that class. Uh, and Jimbo Fisher was very vehemently uh, opposed to that notion that they had done that. Um, but, uh, and, and certainly this is not just A&M that might be guilty of this. I think this is across the board. We, we're seeing people challenging things all over the, the country uh, uh, about what's going on with NIL. And it'll be very interesting to see if the NCAA can actually live up to this and actually say, if they, if they take somebody on, who knows what's going to happen at that point, uh, whether whether there's going to be lawsuits against the NCAA. Uh, they're on very shaky ground with all this to begin with. You, you've seen a lot of people saying we want to take the uh, we want to take Division one football out of the NCAA altogether and make it run by the college football playoff. And you can you know, and then what they're saying is that we'll, we'll play by the same rules as far as our academics are and everything else. And, and you can have the Olympic sports. And uh, but. We're going to take ourselves out and be run by the CFP, and you can be run by the NCAA, the rest. So I, I think it'll be very interesting to see how this can be uh, uh, legislated uh, or, or enforced, I guess. It's already, that's the point. That they already have the rules on the books. They're just not enforcing them at this point. Yeah, I, 
the enforcement. And, and again, I, is, is anyone surprised once this was opened up that this is where it was going to go? I mean, to me, I think you're right. I think the logical conclusion is that uh, college football breaks out of the NCAA and is governed elsewhere. And, and, and they'll go, look, we'll, we'll leave you everything else, but uh, we just make too much money. Uh, we just drive. Uh, we make it possible for basically the sports programs at all of these schools to uh, these other non-revenue sports or lesser revenue sports to exist. Uh, we're not going to play by your rules anymore, and there's nothing you can do about it. And and when you got to this stage, there were already issues with NCAA enforcement, right? Now you have more to enforce, and I'm not sure that they were particularly equipped or doing a good job of enforcing before. So now that it's to this point, how can they handle that with their current structure? So I, I think that you're just seeing college football grow beyond uh, the NCAA. And I think it's, it's uh, I would argue it already has, but I, I think this just accelerates it and means that the inevitable end comes sooner rather than later. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's be really difficult for them to do this. You know, uh, Mark Emmert, the NCAA chief, has already announced his resignation. People are getting out. You know, Bob Bowlesby resigned as the uh, commissioner of the Big Twelve. I think you know. I think he when he said he had signed up uh, in his contract to go till seventy, or maybe it was seventy two. Uh, uh, I think he planned to fulfill that contract, and then when it got to the point where. Now Texas and OU are going to the SEC and uh, and him, him trying to once again for, force to face how he's going to keep the Big 12 afloat. I think it's just been uh, too much. They're just, there's so much going on in uh, uh, college athletics now, especially in football. I used to hear people say in on the inside, and I've talked to uh, NCAA investigators and people like that, and then they said, oh, how basketball was just out of control. There were just – there was no way to control what was going on in basketball. Well, there's no way to control what's going on in football now either. So, so both sports are, which of course are the two big money makers are really almost unenforceable uh, with what's going on. I, I just don't know. You just, even in the cases where that we had the, uh, where the, you know, the feds are investigating, you know, these yeah. programs in basketball uh, we still haven't had resolution on those. And that's been going on for years now years that these have been going on so in, in meanwhile uh what does that say to to boosters what does that say to coaches i'll just go ahead and do whatever i'm going to do it might sure. be years before anything happens to me you know i could be fired in a couple of years anyway why don't i go ahead and go you know all in on this and just try to to load up as much as i can get while i can get it and then if something happens to me i'll probably be gone by that time anyway so well you know uh, in some level is i mean this is the the extension of the argument that you had in the Olympics, right? About letting professional athletes into the Olympics where you got into, well, other countries, basically they are professional athletes, you know? I mean, it's that whole professional versus amateur uh, ideal. And the, the NCAA was really established to manage or oversee an antiquated system, wasn't it? Right. And, and that's and that's that's why it's ineffective now. And, and that's why you need the, the system has evolved into something else. And the NCAA, as established, I'm not sure it's really equipped to handle it. No. And I, and I don't know that the CFP will be equipped to handle it, exactly. either, frankly. I mean, yeah. who knows what this is going to end up being in five years? I just uh, and I, I just have a hard time seeing people saying, you know, we need to rein this back in. It's like, well, 
the, the, the horse is out of the barn now, pal. I, I just, I just think it's, it's going to be no really raining difficult. at this point. No. no, there, there is no raining at this point. All right. Let's cover some other points here in our potpourri. Let's, let's talk briefly about the stars who are also in the playoffs in this series is it is tied at two to two with Calgary. It's going back to Calgary now for game five. Uh, Jake Ottinger, the, uh, homegrown, uh, goalie for the, uh, stars has been playing really well, even though he gave up four shots, uh, you know, uh, in the game Monday night, uh, or four, four goals, I should say. There was a lot more shots than that. Yeah, a, lot, a lot more shots than four. <laughs> yes, exactly. And that's the whole point. You know, when the ice feels like it's tipped one end, yeah. you know, you know, I don't know a lot about hockey, but I know this, <laughs> if you can't get the puck out of your end, you're in trouble. Uh, and, and so, and that's what happened all night long. They couldn't do that. And the, the stars have built themselves on defense for years. This is what, this is who they are. They, they, they hope to win games two to one, two to nothing, that kind of thing. They're not going to be involved. They're not going to win too many shootouts. So let's say that. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see how they do going forward. I have to say, if I'm going to like somebody's chances more, and I know the stars did not have a very good regular season and they just barely got into the playoffs altogether. The fact that they are built around – I know the Mavericks are built around defense. The Stars are built around even more defense, uh, and they and they have a goalie playing very well. Uh, and when you have a goalie playing very well and you're built around defense, I think your chances are very good, uh, or at least improved over that. That's the problem with the Mavericks is that they, they play really good defense. They don't have somebody at the back end. They don't have that rim protector. They don't have the, the rebounder. Uh, you know, I, I, It'll be interesting to me to see where they, they go – in this offseason and which way they go. I think they could find somebody for a reasonable price to do that sort of thing. So, but we'll see going forward. Well, that's Uh, the thing that, you know, the higher seeds usually play out and have the advantage in the NBA where you don't have it to that percentage in the NHL. Uh, You consistently see teams six, seven, eight seeds uh, advance pretty far in the postseason, and it's because of that formula. It's because their defense, and they have that the hot goalie. and And Ottinger has been a revelation so far. I mean, uh, uh, to, for at his age to play at this level, um, you know, I I know you don't particularly like us to mention the name Tim Callishaw, and I understand that. Uh, <laughs> I I don't like to utter it that much either. But you know, I, I think you wrote a pretty good one the other day, just talking about when you look at the goalies in this organization. Uh, that that you've had, and, and Marty Turco uh, had success early, but his early success came at a later age, right? Than, right. Than I think he was with Ottinger, twenty-seven or twenty-eight years yeah. old, and uh, and Ottinger's twenty-three. So yeah. that that is a that is a big thing. You know, the the Stars have done a good job here in the last few years accumulating uh, goalies. Uh, they they yeah, couldn't they keep have. them healthy. They couldn't keep them healthy, but they had some some guys with real talent. Well, they, you go out and you draft this guy, and, and you and you're forced to play. And boom, he comes right out of the box. He's playing really well. That that is that bodes really well for this franchise. And mm-hmm. they have a twenty three year old goalie they believe in. Uh, I mean, how many how many clubs can say that? So I think that's a that bodes for a very bright future for the Stars, no matter how far they get in this offseason. All right, uh, we also have the Nelson this week. Uh, Outstanding and- field. A good, really a good, good field, field. Yeah. a good field, and it's and it's sold out. Uh, so this is the second year it's been at Craig Ranch after they went down to Trinity Forest, and that didn't work out. 
That was very unfortunate. I think that was a, a self-fulfilling prophecy that that wasn't going to work out. Well, uh, and the weather, the, the weather they had in those two years didn't help either. What You had a deluge one, one year, and then it was scorching heat uh, the other. Yeah. And then you could, of course, you had then, some scorching heat here this week, too. As well, <laughs> there were a lot of things. The people didn't, you know, it was, a, it was kind of a Lynx-like course, and yeah. a lot of the American players don't like that. The fans didn't like the fact there was no place to park. My son went down there. They said they drove around for, for an hour and a half looking for a place to park. A place to park, one. not enough shade. Not enough yeah. shade, no places to go, hang out. You know, that was the thing always when all those years when it was at Four Seasons, uh, you know, out there, uh, the TPC course in Las Colinas was that, you know, everybody hung out at, at the pavilion, right? Uh, there were there were lots of great places and things to, to do other than just to watch even the golf. Well, uh, the Nelson there was really more golf fest, you know, like you have oh, May Fest and like you have all your spring festivals. I mean, that's really what that the Nelson was when it was at four seasons, it was a, it was a golf festival. Uh, and, and they haven't been able to recreate that feel going forward. No. And, and, and Craig ranch was the, the first year was last year and it went off pretty well. They had some terrible rain and, and yeah, of course that's, you always expect that weather here. Of course, it's going to be no rain this week, They're gonna have uh, terrible heat, but be- terrible heat. Oh my gosh. It's gonna, when, uh, when I went out last night at 10 30 and the, and it still felt like 92 degrees at 10 30 in early May. Early May. What does that mean? Or, or are oh we going to? I'm going to spontaneously combust <laughs> in July. That's what's going to happen to me. You know, I can't afford this kind of thing. It's not good for my health. So uh, the Nelson has a good field though, and it's going to have a. Uh, it's going to be a packed house. There's going to be a lot of people there, so it'll be fun to watch and see how that does. Scotty Scheffler, of course, will be here with his green jacket, uh, and that will be a, a charge for everybody. You know, that's the, the, the exciting thing about this is that you have Dallas guys. More than one who have the opportunity to win this. Of course, Jordan Spieth uh, is, is always a candidate here. Uh, Will Zalatoris, uh, Scotty Scheffler. These are guys that are, uh, and, and I've, I've written about this before, about this, this budding rivalry we have here where some of the best names in golf uh, are, are guys from not only from Texas, but from the Dallas area. Yeah. Uh, and so we'll, we will see how they do going forward. They're all very young and all very talented uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun to watch this happen. Uh, Scotty just kind of, I don't want to say Scotty came out of nowhere this year because obviously uh, as an amateur, he was uh, an unbelievable player. Uh, and, but he has taken the golf world by storm. No one anticipated this fast of a rise. No, but, but no. that's the thing. No one does, right? No one really anticipated that with Jordan Spieth either. No, he didn't. Uh, I mean, Jordan was a, a bigger name uh, as an amateur even than, yeah. than Scotty was. But, yeah, it, it's been remarkable. And, and, and Jordan has, of course, struggled a little bit lately. Uh, I think the thing, the difference between him and, and Scotty is that, is that Scotty is just so low-key, and, and I don't believe that he lets things rage in him as mu- quite as much as Jordan does. Uh, Jordan is the, – the, the remarkable thing about the two of them, and I guess that, you know less so with Zalatoris, who – his struggle has been putting Tita Green. He's as good as there is mm-hmm. in the game. Uh, you know, Scotty and Jordan are both scramblers. You know, they're guys that hit a bad shot and then they then they get themselves out of it remarkably well. Uh, and that's been the strength of their games. And I think that I think when you are that kind of player, that gives you an edge because you're not always going to hit great shots, right? You know, sure. I almost never hit a great shot. So. <laughs> 
if if you're if you're I can able, remove the almost. I never yeah, hit a great shot. Yeah. yeah. But but you know, when you know that I can get myself out of this, you know, when you know that because I've done it a thousand times, uh, I think that's just such a remark it gives you such a remarkable edge out there. So we'll we'll see. You know, that's been one of the, the detriments of, of the Nelson as well the last few years. The guys who have been winning it are are guys that went in for the first time and then they don't win again. And yeah, so exactly. Yeah. Nobody, nobody wants to come out and watch that. Like, people want to come out and watch big names. They want to see big names win, and they want to see big local names win even more so than that. So it's like we'll, the one hit wonder uh, hall in the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, that's you right. just have that, that's that's what the Nelson has turned to, into in recent years. Uh, mm-hmm. A guy no one has heard of wins, uh, and then you don't hear of them again <laughs> yes. because they never win again, and they they don't really play themselves into the. Uh, into the uh, conversation anymore. All right. David, was there something else we want to add to our, our potpourri? Am I leaving out something here? No, because I, th- I think we shifted the, uh, the no, uh, we, we second took NFL the... team into our second set. <laughs> That's right, the second NFL team. Yeah. What would we call the second NFL team, by the way? <laughs> what, what, what do we call it? Uh, what were some of the names they had ready to go for the Cowboys before they named them the Cowboys? I can't remember now. Oh, wow. I think, so Ranger, I think Rangers was in there at one Rangers, time. Rangers, Mavericks, uh, all, you know, all the Cowboys sort of yeah. Cowboy adjacent names. Yeah. It's like J. Frank Doby's name in this, uh, uh, these teams instead of, uh, you know, actual living people. Uh, so, well, I think that's going to do it for our, uh, our podcast then today. If we don't have anything else, we're going to have a lot to talk about next week as well. Cause when we come back, uh, the stars will either be advancing or not. The Cowboys will be, or not the Cowboys, the Mavericks will be advancing or not. Uh, we'll, we will know if the, the Rangers are, are still alive as well and whether they should just call the season as my Cowboys my will have had their rookie there. mini camp and will be setting up for the, uh, organized team activities with their veterans coming in the next week. So, yeah, that's right. That's Friday and Saturday with the Cowboys mini camp or rookie camp. Um, that'll be uh, interesting to go out there. Are you, you going to be out there, David? Yes, I will, Kevin. That'll be a lot of fun. You'll see me there. No, no, you, <laughs> you will not see me there. I want to say that. I think the last time I went to one, I was sitting out there and I thought, oh my God, I think I'm going to faint. It I, is so hot out here. I had to go over and actually sit down in the shade. It was so freaking Hot out there, and of course, it's going to be the same thing this week. All the players they don't uh, draft from like the southeast, you know, who come in from like <laughs> Boise or or Wisconsin. It's it's an eye opening weekend for them. You can yeah. see them just uh, begin to dehydrate on the field. Oh, we're shoving them right into the oven, aren't we? <laughs> it's the middle of May. You can imagine what they must think. It's the middle of May. My it's gosh, May. why is it so hot? Oh, my gosh, this is going to be awful. All right, uh, but this is going to be a, a good podcast, we promise. Uh, we're going to we're gonna try to make it better every week. Next, it's next be- week will be good because because today certainly wasn't. Is that <laughs> basically right. what you're telling our listeners? Well, we, we had a low bar. We, we set gotta, a low bar we, just, just so we make sure it's going to be better. Stick with us, guys. we got to get better, time. right? The next time it's bound to be better, it couldn't be any worse. We Let's sell that. some hope, just like the Rangers. That's right. All right, so from everybody in here to everybody out there, thanks, and we appreciate it, and see you next time.